Welcome to Armed and Generous. I'm your host, Luke Opliger. In this episode, we'll hear from Isabel and Michael Morantz. They come from two totally different worlds, but they're united by a passion to help others using their skills, talents, resources, and networks. She grew up on a farm, and he's a city guy. And if this sounds like the plot of a Hallmark movie, you're not far off, given Michael comes from the land of video and film production. So it's only fitting that he and his bride would have sort of a cinematic story of how they got together. They get candid, and they talk about the early days of starting businesses, finding their footing in their careers, and then Isabel landing a job at the United Nations, Michael getting a client like Google, and how they both had a really full New York experience, and then were fully done with New York. But also how they were never satisfied with only building a career or a craft. That Google client I spoke of, the project was about agoraphobia. I had to Google that. Maybe I binged it. Yahoo'd? Asked Jeeves. Either way, I asked the internet and it told me the answer. More on that later. We'll talk about child marriages in Malawi. I thought I was married young right out of college, but these young women are getting married at 12 or 13 years old. And I have a 13-year-old daughter. And it freaks me out to think that somewhere in the world there's a Malawi version of my daughter and she's getting married off uh, in these arranged marriages. And it's not a good thing for these women. It's, it's a really sad story. But what's encouraging is the work that Isabel and Michael are doing to bring light to this issue and the real change that they have caused. It's pretty incredible to hear about. You see, they believe everyone wants to do good, but recognize it's not always easy to make that a focus in life. So they give us ways to start small and to snowball efforts using our areas of expertise to create change. They've got a lot of interesting experience. They've got some incredible insights to share, and I just can't wait for you to hear them. So let's jump in and let's see how Isabel and Michael Morantz can help us become armed and generous. Well, today I'm super pumped to welcome two amazing guests to the show, Isabel and Michael Morantz. Isabel has spent nearly a decade at the United Nations, and she worked in the Sustainable Development Department. And Michael is a director, composer, founder of Already Alive. Uh, he's an award-winning filmmaker. Say that one time slow. And he, um, you know, they're basically both a couple of slouches who have done nothing uh, and kind of sit on their couch all day. So today is about couch surfing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we we want to hear from them. But beyond their successful careers, they've also started something called Stories for Good, uh, where they harness the power of story to drive positive change in the world. It sounds pretty amazing. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Armed and Generous. Thank you, Thank you. very much, Luke. It's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah. It's awesome to have you guys. From our couch. From our right. couch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, you are sitting on a couch, and I and I am in a closet on an old rickety chair. So th this is where we are. But you Perfect. know, you guys, you guys are so awesome for doing this. And I think, really, really for me, as we we think about Armed and Generous, we think about people who are living a double bottom line life, you guys came to mind. And what we mean by that is one bottom line is, hey, you have a career. Hey, you're going after big aspirations. There's usually money involved. You know, we have to eat and live somewhere. Uh, but then you guys have also pursued this other side around telling these stories for good. So Michael, I'm going to start with you. You know, you and I met several years ago through my brother, Jason, who worked with you at Already Alive. And I, you don't know this, but I actually have been in your apartment before um, when you weren't there. And your, um, your bed was very comfortable. Uh, I, <laughs> no, I, know, I noticed two things about the apartment. One thing was you, were, um, you had a soda stream machine, like those, those bubble waters, yes. which um, I, I, you know, kind of a Midwesterner, like we hadn't quite yet gotten the bubble water thing yet. I was like, what is this? And, you know, so I enjoyed that and drank and burped and loved it. And then the other thing I noticed is that your, your apartment looked more like a world headquarters. Like there were <laughs> screens and there were microphones and there were notes scribbled everywhere. And I'm like, what kind of like mad scientist, you know, sort of setup did I just walk into? So that, that kind of sets the stage for, for folks listening at home. Uh, for, for at least my purview into your, your world. But I'd love to hear from you, Michael, your kind of your career journey, how you got to where you are, uh, what, what that whole process has looked like from more of the craft side of things. 
Totally. Um, yeah. Wow. That was a really long time ago. That was, I think, <laughs> met Isabel. Like that was the Williamsburg apartment when I yes. had like the one bedroom and the bedroom was shut off. And then the whole rest of the apartment was our office that we worked out of. Although it that, could have that was it. today because bubbly water and lots of screens and buttons and knobs is essentially what life still looks like. Is, is that the secret to success? Bubble water and screens? Yeah. I think we... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least knobs and screens, like right? buttons, knobs. Okay, not just get the knobs. Right. Yeah. Very important. That's awesome. Um, yeah. No. I. Uh, you know. I think. Um, I am. I'm very lucky to have have, have gotten to where I'm at in my career. Uh, basically, really just following um, my passions of, of filmmaking and really, you know impacting people emotionally through the stories that I tell, through the films that I make. And, um, you know, it all kind of started by me making the work that I kind of wanted to make, mm. putting it out there on Vimeo and for it to get noticed. And then people reach out and say, hey, could you make something similar like that for me? Now, of course, I had my like day jobs during that time, right? Sure. Like, you know, that were not glamorous at all, but gave me enough money to be able to give me enough time and freedom to go make the things that I actually wanted to make. And then, which then kind of turned into my career. And I've just kind of always been been pushing in that way um, and still do quite honestly to, to today is just finding that, that passion and, you know, I think um, I've, I've gotten a lot of very lucky breaks and mm. really wonderful people who have supported me along the way and in, in providing me opportunities. And I thank every single one of them. Jason being one of those incredible mm -hmm. people who, uh, your brother, who has just been such a, a, an amazing uh, person and presence in my life, not only in work, but, you know, mm. he actually um, married the two of us. Uh, so, you know. That's <laughs> awesome. That. I remember that. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm also an ordained minister um, by by the powers invested in the internet. Um, so I've I've done a few too, which which is always fun. You know, oh. you you feel a little imposter syndrome because you're like, I know I'm I took the class online and I passed, I guess, or my check cleared. Um, but you're like, am I am I really qualified to do this union? I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I wanted to ask too, Michael, you know, the recognizing filmmaking is about, you, usually people are in it, and it's usually about people. I mean, unless it's a story about robots or, you know, once in a while, in, in the advertising world that I live in, it's about a product, you know, so I guess it could be about animals and things like that. But I, I wonder through through your filmmaking journey, uh, how you're... Your, your thoughts around people, your worldview, your point of view around others around you has evolved and changed. I'd love to hear about that. Oh, goodness. Um, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> what did I ask? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, the, the really beautiful thing that I've noticed about people, I think in all of my travels, I've been very lucky in a lot of my client work and non-client work and just our passion work, I've been able to travel around the world and meet and film with lots of different people. and. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's really, really interesting and cool is when you get down on a person-to-person -person level with anyone, I don't care what their background is, I don't care what their politics are, I don't care, it does not matter, but when you get one-to-one -one on a person and you strike up a conversation about life and living and family and eating and whatever are those common threads that unite all of us, right? Mm -hmm. You can become friends with anyone and you can appreciate almost anyone, eh, maybe not anyone. Maybe yeah. Hitler may have been a hard person, <laughs> you know, get to like. There's, uh, prob but, there's probably a handful of people that are like, eh, you just need to go over there and- Yeah, yeah, yeah you're in a different bucket. <laughs> right, you, you need to go take a time out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think there's this incredible, um, you know, people, when, when you, again, one-on-one, -on -one, there's this compassion, empathy that everyone has for, I think, one another and an ability to relate to one another mm. in and I think it's a really beautiful thing to keep in mind, especially these days when everything is so decisive, uh, divisive. Uh, mm. uh, it, it, it's nice to know, well, if you just talk about your favorite meal, maybe you'll actually make a friend. I love that. I love that. And I, I really appreciate how you live that out, you know, being on set with you a few times, whether it was an Up West project or something like that. I could see the way you interacted with everyone. It didn't matter if it was yeah, craft services person or the DP or even the client, 
you know, you were, you were always kind and generous, which I, which I love about you. So well, life's too short to be a dick. Right. There you go. That's that. There's a bumper sticker for you. <laughs> <laughs> really, um, like, you know, it's, it's so much more of an enjoyable experience if everyone can giggle a little bit. Yes. You know? I love that. I love that. All right. So Isabel, this has been a bad first date so far. I haven't asked you any questions. Um, so, so talk to me a bit. So we mentioned United Nations and I, I know I've, I was actually part of the United Nations um, in sixth grade. It was a, like a fake UN. Um, and when I say part of it, I mean, I watched my sister because she was an AP student do it. I just stood in the background. Um, so that's the closest I've come to, to the UN. Um, how, how did you even land that gig? Like, what was your process from like, hey, I'm in kindergarten, I learned my shapes, and now I'm at the UN? Yeah. Well, you were closer to it earlier on than I was. Yes, uh, I got you on that one. <laughs> I never did model UN or anything like that. Um, I'd always been really interested and involved in a lot of international work and grassroots projects and community building. Um, and I started doing some work like that when I was 16, when I was still in high school in the summers. Um, and yeah, the UN was always this like far off dream of being like, mm. cool if I could like do some work at the UN. And, um, but it was never something that I thought was possible, really that real for me. Um, but nevertheless, senior year comes around and everyone's frantically applying to jobs, including oh, yeah. myself. And I applied to a bunch of UN jobs and, you know, among a lot of other applications I sent elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated, I took a job doing pretty much what I'd been doing up until that point was leading these community service trips for high school students. Cool. And this one was in Costa Rica and I spent the whole summer doing that. And I got back in August and in early September, I got a call for an interview at the UN. Mm. And I went in on a Monday and I couldn't believe it. I had to like get like real clothes. Like I didn't have any like <laughs> clothing. Like I had to go shopping all the weekend and get like blouse and right. pants. And um, I knew nothing about New York City too. Nothing. So that was like, oh, like wow. navigating the city. Let me yeah, say, you know, Isabel grew up on a farm in, okay. in Western Massachusetts her whole life. So like New wow. York City was just yeah yeah it was def, you know different planet feeling yeah it, it's a different planet i think even for people who grow up there yeah I mean, there's never i don't know if you ever quite adjust in new york it's like loud and smells and there's lots of people and you know apartments with bubbly water i mean it is there's there's, there's lots going on yeah they're really advanced with that bubbly water um, and yeah, I got a, I had an interview. It was for the Department of Conference Management. I didn't know what that was. Um, mm. And but we talked. They asked me. I had done my my um dissert, my um my thesis was on um, the Ovahimba people of Namibia, and uh, the people that had that were interviewing me had just come back from Namibia. So we had wow. this like really interesting talk just about Namibia and and the work that was going on there. And they didn't even really ask me that many other questions and it kind of seemed like in the beginning they already seemed a little bit checked out and I was like what's going on here and at the end they were like you know you seem really great um but you know the general assembly is starting next week and we hired we just hired like a bunch of retirees because we were really desperate for people no. to work and so you know we don't have any spaces and I was like why did you make me come all the way to New York City like <laughs> buy no a blouse buy a skirt <laughs> yeah it's like what am I gonna do with this blouse right and um <laughs> I went home and on that, cause I was on a Monday on Friday, I was driving to Boston to visit a friend and I stopped at a gas station and I checked my phone and I had a job offer starting no. Monday. No. That's <laughs> wild. Was it in that same department or was it in it a was, different department? Yeah. Okay. So it was for the general assembly and they hire a bunch of people just for like sure. the general assembly. Cause um, you know, it's, it's run by, you know, a lot of runners. Yeah. And, um, so I had to move to New York on Sunday and started on Monday and the General Assembly started on Tuesday. So my first 
day on the job was inside the General Assembly on the floor with all of the heads of state, or at least <laughs> no. most of the heads no. of state in the world, and like walking among them. I mean, my job was essentially to hand out all of their speeches because every okay. delegate gets a, a speech of whoever's speaking at that time. So, you know, I was like, you know, kind of qualified for walking and handing out paper. Yeah, you, you, had, you had legs and hands. So yeah. they, they were like, check, let's get this girl a job. Does she, does she have a second blouse? That was the big question. Although it was pretty nerve wracking walking. I, I bet. Step was like, don't fall, don't fall. Did, did you ever have any concern? Like I'm handing the wrong speech or I'm giving them my grocery list or like something, <laughs> something might happen here that's. Or like I would give them two, like heaven right. one oh, double man. speech. Yeah, that's so exciting. So, so talk to me about that that transition then, because I know you you also worked in the sustainable development. Yeah. So group. then I moved. I was with that department until the end of the year, um, and then I started with the Department of Sustainable Development. That's in the it's in the Department of Economic and Social Affairs. It's the Division for Sustainable Development. You know all of these you know, specific words and acronyms, but, sure. um, and then I was there for the rest of the time I was at the UN, but I moved around within, within the division in different branches. I started in with small island developing states and, um, which were at the forefront of the climate change issues. And I think honestly, that's mm. where I got really initiated to this idea of, um, of, of story and how important it was for people, especially these huge countries and these big decision makers to know what's going on with the people on the ground with these little island countries um, mm -hmm. who you know, were responsible for less than 1% of carbon emissions and yet were the first, are the first ones who are gonna literally go under right. because of change. Um, and, how how hard it was for them to fight for anything in the UN system um, and how easy it is to just get lost in the language of resolutions and um, reports. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of where I, I, I first saw how important it was to really see the impact of in real people's lives of what's going on on the ground. Mm. No, that's awesome. It sounds like too that you were you were able to give a voice to those who who couldn't voice themselves, you know, whether they were far off or they were a small percentage, you know, kind of fighting for the little guy. Yeah, uh, which which is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. But so so talk to me about this. So you you're you guys you guys get married. You know, you I, I assume you guys do a lot of things together, like you make lunch, make dinner, make babies. Like you're you're used to like making things together. Um, but how, how did this, well, first of all, tell me just a little bit more about stories for good and what that's all about. Uh, and then help me, help us understand too, how it went from kind of a seed of an idea to reality. Yeah. So I hit a breaking point with New York. <laughs> mm, she wants to go back to the farm. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was this hard, we hit this hard sticky point where I was like, I love my job, but I, mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't New York anymore. I can't. Yeah. And Michael had a very different New York experience than me. I did like the commute, you know, yes. every day in rush hour. He was in his pajamas all day working yes. out of our bedroom. Yes. <laughs> he got to interact with New York whenever he wanted to do. And right. I had to interact with it whenever I did not want to. Yeah. yeah possible times yeah. <laughs> the, the days that I had meetings in the city and I had to take the the subway in in the morning commute um yeah I just I don't get it I don't it's know. it's wild you know, and you, that's listening to this right now but uh <laughs> <laughs> well you know too Michael you know we we spent some time in New York as a family we were on Lo in Long Island yeah. and it's actually where Jason was born and mm -hmm. we were there for several years and our dad had a very unconventional job you know he was the chaplain for the Mets and the Jets and so he, he wouldn't have to go in every single day. But when he did go in, it was drive the car to the train station, take the train in downtown, you know, get on different trains. And I asked him one day, I said, how, how long would this take? He's like, maybe an hour and a half, maybe three hours. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and I was like, that's wild. Both ways, you know. So you start to do the math. And th this is not a really healthy exercise, but I've I had, I've had longer commutes in my day, you know, where it's more like an hour each way, 
with mm. traffic sometimes an hour and a half, I start to add up the hours where I've sat in the car. And I'm mm. like, how much of my waking life, you know, and, and with yeah. my, you know, ADD and my wiring, I'm like, oh, I'll call someone. Oh, I'll write a song. Oh, I'll do this. Or, you know, here's an idea. Can I write it down somewhere and not crash the car? But there's still, you still can't help but say like how much of my life is being spent almost yeah. you feel trapped, right? Cause your, yeah. your body is physically, you know, invested in this thing every day. So I, I get it. I think there's a reality there. Yeah. Mm. And it's hard to start and end your days with that too. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I hit this breaking point, but also the kind of the trajectory of my career at the UN, this isn't for everyone, but the way that it happened to go for me was I kind of got further away from the more tangible work. Mm. I started much more in the um, higher level, like intergovernmental work. Um, and sure. I knew if I wasn't going to be working at the UN, which the UN is only in New York in the United States, if I wasn't going to be in, in New York, I wouldn't be able to work at the UN. I wanted to get back to doing something a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more tangible. Mm. Um, and Michael knew, we kind of had to work from what we knew. It was like, I, we don't want to be in New York. We don't want to just do it. It was okay. Well, what do we know? I want to yes. do more tangible. I don't want to be in New York. Michael still wants to do film. That's what he's wanted to do his whole life. Yeah. And that's still what he wants to do. <laughs> so we ended up, um, I think I came up with the idea before we left New York. It was yep. more of just like this idea of combining our passions and mm. um, wanting to have an impact, wanting to uh, not reinvent the wheel with impact. Like there's so many amazing people and organizations that are doing incredible work mm. and wanting to tap into that. Um, and also to tell their stories. And Michael has such a profound way of telling story in like a really cinematic, beautiful way that's really profound. And I think a lot of it's lacking. It's lacking in, um, you know, the, the for good sector and it's kind of lacking right. in, in all these other areas. So it was, it's a huge benefit, I think, um, across the board. And so, yeah, we just kind of, we, that was a seed that was planted. And then Michael got a job for Google. Well, we left New York. Right. We, we left New York. We packed all of our stuff in a storage unit. We, we packed our car and we started driving across the country and we were camping across the country. And when jobs came up, we would find the closest airport, uh, get on a plane and, and we would go to do the job. And That's awesome. I would do the job. And one of the jobs that I got during this time was for Google. And it was the agoraphobic, uh, agoraphobic traveler. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was pitching this uh, amongst other directors and, um, they had said, well, we kind of want to do like a, a, some kind of fundraising or something good with this story. We think there's an mm. opportunity, but we're not quite sure exactly how to do it. This was their kind of uh, the Google brand studios, their internal advertising agency. Yeah. And so I was like, ah, I know just the person who knows <laughs> how to do things and make things happen. Um, and so I kind of pitched them stories for good, knowing that you know, Isabel would be able to coordinate and figure out. And that was our first project. It mm. was on the backs of uh, a client job and they said, okay, go for it. And um, it was it was really quite an amazing experience to be able to go shoot the story and then be empowered to, you know, the part of the filming, there was this art event in New York City, which we then turned into a Stories for Good fundraiser, our first fundraiser. Um, and also where eventually Jackie, she sold her prints there and then she sold her prints online. So that was kind of like the impetus. We, we saw an opportunity and we just said, okay, let's launch it. Let's do it. Yeah, it was good. It definitely mm. lit the fire under our butts. Cause I don't know, <laughs> we, were, we were, I don't, yeah. Who knows if we would have launched it, if we hadn't kind of, if they, if we had like such a serious offer and deadline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, it, totally. yeah, exactly. make this happen now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the old saying, it's like when, when one door closes, the other one hits you on the butt on the way out. Yeah. You know, it's like you're kind of like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And then you kind of build as you go, you know, put yeah. the airplane together as you fly, so to speak. Totally. Which yeah. is great. One of the things I love about that that part of your guys' story is that it's um, something I call triple T, which is which is giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. Uh, and it, it's it's an old that's a new way of saying a very old principle which is we, when it comes down to it, what, what do we have? We have mm. our time, we mm. have our abilities, and we have our resources. Mm. There, there really is, I mean, in the space-time continuum, there might be more, but 
I think in, in like normal everyday life, you're like, there's only so many hours, there's only so many dollars and there's only so much of me to go around. So it's, it's cool to hear how you were able to kind of double dip in a way and not, not in a, in a gross way, but in a really productive way to say, this is a client job. It could also be a client job that does something good. Let's mm-hmm. raise funds for it. Oh, my partner in life over here knows how to do that too. Let's mm-hmm. team up. Let's make it something official. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. I want to ask too, I know the, there's another story for good on the site as well mm-hmm. um, that I saw that was really impactful. And I, I wanted to ask you a bit about that one as well. So I was looking at, at, at this story around uh, child marriage in Malawi. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's another um, uh, armed and generous uh, group that I interviewed uh, recently who does a lot of clean water work in mm-hmm. Malawi. So I'm you know, familiar with the area and some of the other challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, this, was, this was kind of new to me. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear from you guys how, how you found out about that issue and then how that just talk to me a bit about that project. Totally. Yeah. So, um, uh, so the main way we found about the project is through another organization called Vital Voices, actually, who's been a long time uh, client of Artie Lives. They're one of the, the nonprofit uh, organizations that I work with uh, quite often and tell stories for. And what they do is they support women leaders around the world and help tell their stories and awesome. give them a network and fundraising and support. And so uh, the second year I had worked with them, um, they had one of these, so they, they throw this, um, this award show every single year at the Kennedy Center where they award certain women leaders from around the world to give them a, a highlight and more support. And one of them was mm-hmm. Chief Chindamoto. Um, and this is this chief in Malawi who is a total, total badass. Um, she, she is so mm-hmm. awesome. It's crazy. I mean, she's the first... Uh, female high chief um, uh, in in Malawi, um, she's totally a, a game changer. And what she has done, and what she has um, really, really pushed for, I think one of her biggest achievements is this ending of child marriage, because she saw how it was affecting the the, the youth, especially the female youth of mm. Malawi, and how it was really destroying many, many lives and opportunities, um, and it was just detrimental. And so she has just, uh, we got introduced to her story through uh, uh, um, Vital Voices and then said, okay, let's let's see what else we can do um, on top of it uh, via Stories for Good. So again, it's it's taking that opportunity of something that's up and then just trying to plus, plus, plus it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and try to do some more things. And that's when, um, you know, Isabel brought in care and let there be light um, to kind of do, do some more work uh, in there. But I mean, that was that was a, a truly incredible experience. Isabel, myself, my producer at the time, Noah uh, Meisner, went to Malawi. We got a couple of fixers and we were there for a couple weeks um, mm. and were able to really kind of be, you know, I, I remember this, the first meeting we had, Chief Kichinomoto brought us in and brought all the other local chiefs from the region, the chiefs that were under here to this meeting. And we had to kind of basically like, pitch our our projects uh, <laughs> was that like the most stressful pitch meeting you've ever had <laughs> you're like listen i've pitched to google i've pitched to nike i've pitched to apple but these guys <laughs> that's, that's intense it was yeah. like the, the all the chiefs a lot of them were wearing their like you know some of their their like their their traditional garb and everything sure. and it was just like this totally surreal amazing experience and we told them this what we're planning on doing, which was this like, you know, kind of visual narrative film to help tell mm-hmm. the story of what happens. And they all got it immediately and we're like nice. super supportive. And we're like, so we want to start casting, you know, villagers and this and like, oh, like many chiefs were like, oh, I know who, no. who could be the girl and I know who could be the father. And I mean, it was unbelievable support and excitement that they it. had to want to tell this story. I would love if there was like a moment too, where some guy's like, this is an opportunity. He's like, I'm actually the agent. Um, <laughs> I get a 15% cut. Um, I want points on the back end on this. <laughs> There's some actual truth to that. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> everyone, everyone needed to get a cut. Yeah. Oh yeah, everyone needs to get fed. I get it. 
<laughs> I get totally, it. totally get it. You know, we were, yeah. you know, we put together like uh, that wedding ceremony that yeah. was in the film, you know, we put together and it was like, they actually threw a wedding ceremony. Mm. It was amazing. Like it was a mock wedding ceremony, but they sure. threw a legit wedding ceremony. And even we weren't filming, but they had a party, remember afterwards? Yeah. No. As yeah. if it was a no. wedding. No. Like, like a reception almost. Music. Yeah. And they just <laughs> what? They're like over there. They're like over there doing the chicken dance, and you're like, guys, this wasn't a real wedding. Like, <laughs> no, you start breaking out YMCA. Remember, yeah. Chief Kachinamoto and her family cooked up a goat, yeah, and yeah. they served us goat fruit, and we wow. had a big feast. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really special. It was really again, special. you know, I'm an ordained minister. That was another opportunity where <laughs> you could have brought me in. You know, <laughs> I could have cut you a deal. No, I think it's incredible. And I, I think I don't know too, if you want to ordain that. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think I want to be part of that yeah, situation. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, kind of kind of going back to that that issue and that problem. Um, you know, it's it's so I've I have three daughters, uh, and my oldest daughter's thirteen. And she's at an age where she just got braces and she's excelling at school and she wants to be a pediatric surgeon one day. And I'm like, I, I apparently, you know intelligence skips a generation but she's she's like i want to do all these things and my heart started to break for the water crisis initially because mm -hmm. the more i learned about it it was really a women's issue mm -hmm. and there's um design outreach is another group that i work with that's been on the podcast and they they talk about hey you know on average girls who are around that same age as my daughter are forced to drop out of school to go collect water and then they kind of go on go on the path and i i really didn't know about this other problem around these these uh, these child marriages mm -hmm. and so i i want to hear a little bit isabel too around because you had you had mentioned vital voices care let there be light international can you give us a sense for kind of the progress that's being made there and kind of what's happening with this issue yeah um i think one thing that you said is like just not knowing about this issue. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about this issue either. And I do a lot of international work. Mm -hmm. And um, so something that was so important to us is just to get the story out there. Like this is happening, this is happening, this is prolific in Malawi that one in two girls under the age of 18 are being married off. Mm. Um, yeah, and some younger than your daughter, like some as old as 12 years old. Oh and my goodness. Um, yeah, so this is a serious, a serious issue. And of course there's, it's so nuanced and there's, it's so multifaceted. Um, and what Kachinamoto is doing and she's annulled, I can't remember the exact number now, but it was like over 2,500, 2,500. Yeah. I think that's what the video said. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was years, a few years ago. So, mm -hmm. um, but she, you know, the first, the thing that she can do because only chiefs can marry these girls and only chiefs can annul their marriages. So mm. she has that power to say, okay, I'm going to annul this marriage, send these, you know, kids back to their families to finish their schooling and to have this different trajectory of their lives. Wow. And also um, she strips any, right. any chief that allows a child marriage to have that's under her or that she can persuade or influence other chiefs or higher chiefs, they strip them of their, of their power, of their- Oh, so smart, so smart. So, so then there's some, there, there's some motivation to not do this in the future. Yeah. Exactly. It sounds yeah. Like. And it, it's, it's actually had like this incredible swell of change mm. uh, you know, and what she's, yeah. she's done. And it's little things. I mean, talk about the light, like the, like it, it, these little things that really affect uh, to uh, uh, dissuade child marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, something that I, I saw from my work at the UN was how important it is for what feels sometimes like different realities. It's like the people that are working on the ground. And then there's like the people that are working in politics and in these, in these kind of, you know, higher like bird's mm. eye view, but how important it is to in for to like interweave them in order to make actual real change and something that i really loved about care um is that they're addressing poverty at like a root level because why are these girls being married off to begin with it's dowries it's because families mm. can't support them they need to marry them off and they need to 
get a dowry for them in order to sustain their family. Um, you know, so they're, they're addressing it at a very systemic place. Light, light the World International is very different. All they're doing is providing solar lights, but it was amazing being in country. Mm. What we did is we brought a ton of, well, we, we picked them up. They sent them to Malawi and we picked them up there. We, I can't remember how many, it was, a, a, it was a couple hundred, I think. Yeah, a couple hundred of these, of these solar, let there be light, solar lights. Yeah, okay. they were so, such a hot commodity. Everyone really wanted one. Really? And the students, these girls that were eventually being able to go back to school, would be going to school during the day and then they'd go home. And as many of us parents know, like once you go home, you're not off the clock, right? You can't oh, yeah. just like, oh, I'm going to go do my homework now. See ya. Like, no, right. you're having to take care of your kids. If you're lucky to have family that can support your kids while you're at school, which is mm. a whole other issue. So many of these kids, once their marriages are annulled, they already have a couple kids. Mm. So, um, yeah. So when do they actually get to study? When do they actually get to improve their their lives it's at night and there's no electricity and so these lights make a massive massive difference so there's these small things and i think something that was so key for us with stories for good was to um allow people to give back in different ways like if you if you want to buy this ten dollar light to give to a girl like that's mm -hmm. going to make an impact if you want to give to this organization that's working on systemic change from like a poverty level then you can do that too. If you want to support Vital yeah. Voices who are supporting women leaders, like Dinamoto mm -hmm. and on, on a very high leadership level, you can do that too. Yeah, it was like awesome. Like, how do you how do you provide these very different ways? What what do you resonate with as a person? And yeah, uh, yeah, we'll push that through from the very beginning of starting uh, Stories for Good. It's like let's let's give people different ways that they can give to mm. stories. I think that's great. There's, there's, um, I've been reading a few books on, on, um, kind of nonprofit founders and there's this, there's this guy, Scott Harrison, who started a, a water charity. It's called water charity. Uh, very creative. Uh, but he's a total like photographer, um, kind of advertising type guy who, who started this nonprofit. We charity? It's charity water. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And so he's, he's kind of like a big deal, right? Like he's like, hung out with the Obamas and like he I'm listening I'm, I have his audiobook and I'm like dang this guy's like legit um but the the reason I share his story is that he he was able to really cut through the clutter of giving and say you know what 100% of your gift is going to help people and then he would raise funds separately for operational costs you yeah. know because it, it's I think especially the younger generations you know, the, the Gen Z's of the world are starting to say like, well, hold on a second. Like if I give you a hundred dollars, where is that really going? Yeah. Like I, I see the, the CEO, you know, of the nonprofit has a Mercedes, like that's, is it going to their car payment? Like, is it going to their vacation? So you start to, to really, uh, well, it's exciting about what you described is you're allowing people to give at what resonates with them. And I've, I've, I've always thought about giving, giving's like Velcro, you know, it's like you, you can, you can lay down as much opportunity as you want. And then it's up to the person to give back where they see fit and how much they see fit. But if you're not putting the ask out there, there's no way you're going to get any traction. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's, it's cool that there's different options. Yeah. 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 I've definitely worked with a few other organizations that I've done film for, uh, films for like Robin Hood Foundation in New York City, Tipping Point out of San Francisco. Both are poverty fighting organizations that also take that same model that Charity Water did, which is, listen, like 100% of whatever you give goes, the board will raise funds for the organization and the running of the organization itself. Right. Everything that you give, anything that the public gives will go directly to the cost. 100%. And I, I think too, just knowing that we live in such a action reaction world, mm -hmm. you know, like we said, Hey, let's, let's do a zoom call today. Great. I press a button and I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I press a button on my phone and a car shows up. Like we're so used to getting, you know, kind of that instant uh, gratification that I yeah. think, you know, and I, I blame advertising and marketing people, but there's, there's <laughs> this, there's this promise that, Hey, what if you ask for it, it will be delivered. And I think the expectation from, you know, all people, but especially the younger generation is, Hey, what, my, my dollar better work hard. And I want to, I want to see what my investment, what, what's my return on investment. 
um, one of the things there's, there's a term I'm sure you've heard in, in business and in other places called ROI, like what's the return on investment? And it's, it's this, I, I've been thinking more about it, like, like ROI, W-H-Y, like, why are we doing this? You know, I don't, I don't know if we're gonna make t-shirts yet for it, but it's, I think the idea is, is really thinking about like, what's the intention behind this idea? Mm. Um, it's not just, can we measure it by clicks or dollars or donations, but is it really moving the needle to help a cause? Uh, mm -hmm. which, which you guys are definitely doing, which is great. Yeah, that was really important to us for sure was to make sure. And it was interesting. One of the hard things that we ran into, especially through developing like our stories for good online platform, because we wanted every single dollar to go directly to buying this, this light or to supporting mm. a specific cause within this organization. Cause care does a lot of work around the world, but we wanted specifically this to be like, if you donated to this, it would specifically going to work in Malawi. Yes. And, um, but one thing we went into is like, there's a lot of like those instruments of just like sending money. They already take a cut. 3% right? or whatever, yeah. or 1.9%. They're the credit card companies. Yeah. 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 So just, just trying to, you know, get funds from A to B and like seeing mm. like you want to do something good. Awesome. This organization like is doing that right now and just yes. making that happen was harder than we because exactly. yeah because we were at as an organization stories for good we weren't raising any funds for no. ourselves yeah, we were sure. just piggybacking yeah. off of other client jobs and just mm. you know, donating our own own money for upkeep and overhead yeah. and it was like well wait a second now you're going to charge us like right. you know like come on come on now yeah. come on mastercard get with it yeah yeah those jerks yeah. Let, let me ask you guys a couple more questions i, I think really one of the intentions behind Armed and Generous is to encourage and equip uh, those who are st just starting their journey of thinking mm -hmm. about, man, this sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. I, I have a talent, I have a gift, uh, whether it's engineering or whether it's filmmaking or whether it's, you know, you have arms and legs and you want to pass out speeches. Like you're, you know, you've, you've, you've got something you can give. Um, if, if we were sitting down for coffee with someone and they said, gosh, like, help me out. Like what's, what's the roadmap here? How do I get from idea to reality? What, what advice would you give them? I mean, personally, I think in this day and age, there's this expectation for the most grand success and for mm. to go from a like zero to 100 immediately. Right. Mm. And I think that is a, a, not a healthy expectation to do anything in life. And especially when you're trying to do some good, right? What you were saying about the three T's, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like, you know, you've, you've got talent, you've got your time, you've got mm -hmm. something like, just start with something. Just find an opportunity, just like, you know, we, we did. Look for opportunities. You don't have to do every single little thing for good or for or a cause, but where you see opportunities, like you said, whether you're a designer, filmmaker, whoever in the arts, or whether you're an engineer and you want to design mm -hmm. a new solar light, right? That is, yeah. you know, 200% more efficient. I think it's, it's taking a little bit of that time and making incremental uh, advancements um, mm. and beautiful things can snowball from that point. And the momentum will sometimes start itself and it feels really good too. And you, all that, that kind of snowballs together and, and kind of carries you and keeps you going. Um, I think, you know, uh, and also just, just a touch of, of naivety, right? Like just, mm. just a, you can't, you can't overanalyze going into doing this stuff because you'll get overwhelmed because it's a, it's a crazy world out there and there's so many challenges, but I think it's, it's best, especially when you want to do some good in the world to, to not, not really focus on those and just start trying mm. doing and it's going to feel like the process of doing it is going to feel good no matter the challenges that you face mm. and even if you do just the littlest bit of incremental change you're still making good change and that's still very important for the world love that love that mm. yeah I, th I think what one thing i'm going to highlight there too is you you kind of mentioned a, a ready fire aim um mentality which which i love about you guys and i know that's kind of your mo and i think for me there's there's to your point there are with social media and with just examples we see we 
I mentioned this Scott Harrison. It's like, here's this guy who like, you know, went to this, you know, hung out with the Obamas and did all this great stuff. And he's this and that. It's like, gosh, I can never do that. You know, but to think, you know, what's, what's one step I can take today and just kind of build from there is, is pretty exciting. Isabel, how about you? What, what are your thoughts in terms of advice? I think just building off of what Michael said, especially with that, um, like just, just starting to create a little bit of that momentum, because I think in this work, if you're starting to create a little bit momentum, especially in the for good area, it really energizes you and I, it mm. gives back to you. Um, and it can keep fueling you versus other work that can feel a little bit more draining. You're constantly putting in energy that keeps, you know, just disappearing. Being depleted. Um, yeah. yeah. But also partnerships. I think that is something that um, mm. is so key and just making connections with organizations or with brands or companies that are doing interesting work because everyone wants to do good like everyone even if it's only just you know superficial just to save <laughs> right just just so it makes the the christmas or holiday card and mom yeah. is so proud yeah. of you yeah yeah and it makes it or it makes the company look good or whatever but i yeah. mean every they want everyone wants to do good and mm. um if you see an area that you can do that in like put that out there because people want that and there's nothing bad about you know showing that you have you have a certain expertise in this area and can actually make an impact um and yeah i think we also have a tendency just in every sector of society to work in silos and any ways that we can bridge connections really amplifies impact so that's mm. just something to keep in mind when trying to start off no i love that that's great yeah there's almost a one plus one equals three thing that mm -hmm. happens when you when you start working together yeah that's definitely. awesome so last question for you guys you know thinking about stories for good and thinking about kind of um what's next have you guys thought much about kind of your next project or what's on your heart or where do you see yourself in five years mm -hmm. uh, that you know that, that sort of future thinking question what's what's on the horizon or, or is it something else what what kind of gets you uh going I know it's in, it's an interesting question, especially in these days where we're like, "What is next month going to be like in this pandemic?" <laughs> what is next? What is next hour going to look yeah. like? Come on now. Uh, we do have a film that we and a story that we've already created in the pipeline, so we're hoping to release that at some point. Um, and um, we've also been talking with some local organizations that are doing refugee work to try to tell that story and to create impact there. Um, but we also just, yeah, have a lot of other, it's, it's kind of taken a little bit of a, the back burner with having two sure. kids under the age of, of three right now. <laughs> wow. We had, at one point we had, we had three kids that were six and younger. Oh my God. And it was just, you guys are in the rapids right now. I mean, it yeah. is, it's a lot of hands-on physical, I need you at this moment sort of stuff. Yes. Yes. Which is amazing. But we, my wife and I called it a beautiful nightmare where it's like, <laughs> this is so amazing. Look at this precious. I mean, the beautiful part came mostly when they were sleeping. Like, look at that, <laughs> look at that precious face. And then, you know, 10 yeah. minutes later, it's like, I want my juice, you know, or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A diaper change. And you're like, this is not this. I don't remember this in the pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Michael's doing other film work, um, you know, unrelated necessarily stories for good, but always, you know, creating those, those contacts and those partnerships so that, um, you know, whenever we see an opportunity arise to actually make something bigger out of a certain film or to make a film out of a story that's really current and really pressing. We're always, you know, kind of keeping mm -hmm. our eyes out for that. Yeah. And just creating, creating that impact uh, associated mm -hmm. with, you know, you know, even like I'm getting more into feature films and even this feature film that I'm writing is a big subject of it is trauma. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think I'll, even, even doing something like that, even if it's for entertainment, I mean, participant media does this so well where they always assign and they always have an impact campaign associated with it, you know, of the subject of the film. And I think, again, that just, it, it's, it's this whole idea of, okay, how, how can we take these everyday things that we all experience and 
somehow make impact with it. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do, continue to do moving forward is, is look for those opportunities. I love that. So what's, what's the best way for folks to get involved with Stories for Good? S send us a line. Just go to the website, storiesforgood.org, and um, you know, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, shoot us an email if you know of a story that is really interesting or you think needs to be out there or organization that's doing awesome work that, um, you know, just, just let us know. We're always hungry to hear those stories and, and to, to hear what people are, are being moved by. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Michael, Isabel, this is such a pleasure. You guys are quite a treat. And I just encouraged by the work you're doing. And it's just fun to catch up and chat with you. So thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for being armed and generous. And best of luck to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Luke. You're awesome. Fun. All right, Much guys. Fun. Be well. Thank you too. You. Well, it's time for our Triple T takeaways, three things that exemplify either time, talent, or treasure. Isabel and Michael talked about connections that can amplify impact. Instead of working in silos, they said, hit your wagon to others. Hit your wagon to people who are on the path to creating good in the world. So that's my challenge to you today. What wagons do you see out there? How can you hitch yourself to those people who are maybe two, three, four steps ahead of you? You see, when they landed that video project with Google, they added a component to the for-profit project, which was for passion and for people. They created awareness and an invitation to donate to a mental health nonprofit. They built and built and built on top of something that could have just been a cash thing. Now, what for-profit project or what client in your world can you turn into something with incremental impact? I think it's a good challenge for all of us. The only thing that stuck out to me is they said, have just a touch of naivety. It's probably not something you'll hear on typical leadership podcast or reading some self-help book, but it's kind of interesting to think about. With so many challenges in our world, it's easy to be discouraged and not push forward. But instead they say, let's focus on the potential of the positive change we can make, not the negative in the world. And that the process of doing something will start to feel good. How can you start to be a little more naive? How can we all just look in the mirror in the morning and say, how can I take the edge off of my feelings right now and do something good in the world? It's a totally different way of approaching life. And I think it's really refreshing to hear. They also said to start with something, start with anything, look for opportunities, take a little bit of time each day and make incremental advancements and beautiful things can snowball from that. It's the momentum that will carry you. Man, that's awesome to hear. Isabel and Michael are two great examples of people who are living the armed and gen life. And if you'd like to learn more about their organization, Stories for Good, go to Stories for Good, storiesforgood.org, watch the videos, learn about the causes, and sign up for the newsletter. You can also visit armedandgen.com or follow by searching Armed Ampersand Generous on LinkedIn. As always, remember doing good leads to growth. So let's get out there and let's be armed and generous.